Yes. Ooh. You can actually take me out of the monitor if that. Yeah. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Nick, if we haven't met before. I am a lay pastor here at Calvary the Hill, and that just means I find my employment elsewhere as a nurse, but um, one of the three pastors here at this church. So, like Justin said, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, so go ahead and turn there if you haven't already while I get all set up. I used to be a a staunch analog uh, Bible person at church. Like I love to have my my real Bible open with my real notebook, taking handwritten notes until I had a baby. And then, well, my wife had a baby. And then I found myself wearing her during church. And when you're wearing a human, you can't can't have your setup and can't feel prideful in that. So I went to my phone for my Bible and my notes. So no judgment if you're using uh, whatever form of God's word you have. So <clears throat> today we're, we're talking about body parts, okay? How many of you uh, took ninth grade health and you got into the body parts? I think we're, we've all been there, and uh, we're going to do that today in different ways, but we still are. So before we get into it, um, and what we're getting into is Paul's favorite analogy of the church. And he's about to get real deep in it, down and dirty with it. He's going to get real specific and utilize it for a couple points that he wants to make. Um, But but before we read our passage this morning, I want to just review real quick. Because uh, the analogy that he's going to use of the body, um, he is using it for specific reasons, and he's already begun saying why. He's already begun exhorting the Corinthian church um, in what he's about to use the analogy for. And we, we found that last week in chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to quickly review that. He opened up a discussion in verse 1 of chapter 12 concerning spiritual gifts or concerning um, spiritual things or um, spiritual persons Basically, concerning the Spirit's work in the church. He opened up this discussion with them, and he got into a few things, and I just want to briefly touch on them. So one is that God is diverse in his very nature, and we found that um, in verses 4, 5, and 6. And because of this diversity, because he is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he works in diverse ways. He gives diverse gifts. He gives them to diverse individuals, all Christians. And he does this for verse 7, for the common good. And then in verse 3, to glorify Jesus. So that's what we found last week, that God in himself is diverse. And therefore, he works in these diverse ways. He wants the church to be a diverse group of people with diverse gifts but for the common good of glorifying Christ, just like um, Gus said this morning. And so he arrives at verse 12, and it opens with, for just as. So that's what we're getting into. He's, he's saying, this is like, this is like, boom, an analogy. So let's read it, um, verses 12 through 26, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So chapter 12, verse, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. God, we just uh, invite you to illuminate your word to us by your Holy Spirit. Empty ourselves of our thoughts and our, our opinions, Lord, and, and, and substitute them with yours by your word. I pray that you'd empty me of, of my words and replace them with yours by your spirit. And just speak to us um, by your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so back to verse 12. He gets to his illustration. He gives us a picture, a body, a human body. This is a picture of radical diversity inside of total unity. And um, this analogy is not a new idea even in this letter. Paul has been briefly using this metaphor here and there for the past couple chapters. Uh, in, verse, or in chapter 10, he mentions in verse 17 that we are all one body because we partake of the one bread in communion. And then again, he references the one body in chapter 11, verse 29, when he, he's rebuking the Corinthian church for how they're celebrating communion. He's saying that if you're celebrating communion without, and he says, discerning the body, and most likely he's talking about discerning the other members of the body while, you, while you're participating in the Lord's Supper. And so he, this isn't a new idea for him, but here he's getting into it. He's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start I'm going to show you everything about this analogy, and this is going to be useful. It's a good illustration. It, it works. And I think one of the reasons why it works is because everyone gets it. Every, every person who is receiving this analogy is a human. We all have human bodies. There is no Christian ever in the history of the planet Earth that is not a human. And so it's, uh, it's prevalent. Uh, it can apply to everybody, and that's helpful. It's not an inside joke. Paul's not like, you know, the, the church is like that episode of SpongeBob, you know, when SpongeBob and Patrick are at Sandy's house, and half the people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, everyone can relate to this analogy. Um, when I took... Uh, the anatomy of the human body in college and, and physiology, it was, it was a time of immense illumination. I was like, this stuff is gold. I was just learning all the ins and outs of the heart, the lungs, the bones, the brain. And I, was, I, had, I had a thing I said for a while um, that was, every human should be required to take this class because it's about them. It's about you. And obviously not everyone takes that. But you should if you haven't. 
So everyone gets this. It's, it's a prevalent analogy. So we're going to get into it. The structure of this passage, um, verse 12, sort of gives us the, the basics of the analogy, what, what he's saying. Um, and then in verse 13, Paul explains how and why this is true, why this analogy is accurate. And then he starts using it. So in verses 14 through 19, he emphasizes the importance of diversity. And then he flips the coin in verses 20 through 26 and takes that diverse, that need for diversity and puts it back inside of the need for unity among those diverse members. So in verse 12, we see that he says, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And so we have him saying that the unit that we call a human body has many parts. Justin is a human. He has many parts to him. We don't say, hey, there's Nick. Oh, and his toes. It's, it's all included, right? It's one unit. Um, and so he just, he just says that. That's just the facts. And then he says those many parts, all of those members, make up one specific body. Yeah, we all agree. And he says that's how it is with Christ. And uh, most commentators would say that's sort of a shorthand for him saying body of Christ. So that's how it is with the church. That's how it is with Christ's body. And so he, we get it back um, into verse 13 going on. He says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so this is why he can stake his claim. This is, this is the proof of why this analogy works. We find the one spirit that we have been talking about back in, um, in the previous section. This one spirit is present here, creating this unified body. The spirit is the key to how this is even a thing. Now, I'm just going to spend a minute on this verse because I think this verse is important in moving on with this analogy. And it's important to note that he does mention um, baptism here, but this isn't a lengthy discussion on, on baptism as a right, as a, you know, the, tr the Christian right of baptism, nor is it an introduction of sort of a spirit baptism for individual believers. He's talking about every Christian here. This is the entire group of human beings that claim Jesus Christ as Lord. He's saying, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So this is not um, him introducing something specific that you need to do um, after you become a Christian. No, this is when you become a Christian, you are unified into this body by the spirit. And um, so he's stating the emphasis, the importance of the Holy Spirit in this analogy, in this truth, in this reality. And we'll come back to that. But then he gives a little, uh, a little parenthetical note here. He says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And this is important because the Corinthian church were made up of a bunch of different peeps. And they cared about the divisions of race. They cared about the divisions of religion, of culture, of social status. And so Paul is taking aim and saying, while yes, after you become a Christian, you might remain a slave or a free person or a Greek, this identity um, that you have now in Christ by the Spirit, this identity and, um, yeah, identity, this supersedes all other barriers that could have existed prior to, to you becoming a Christian. So no matter who we are, what our background is, um, Paul is saying that through the Spirit, through God giving of his Spirit to you as an individual, you are of equal, we are all of equal and inestimable value in, in this group of people. The spirit here is, is an equalizer. 
God's grace is the great equalizer of all human beings. Um, we found last week, or no, two weeks ago, when Justin was teaching about, about the Lord's Supper and how the Corinthians, Paul was rebuking them for missing the point of communion. He, he was saying that you are, you are coming to the Lord's Supper in an attitude and a perspective that does not, it doesn't, it doesn't jive with what the Lord's Supper is. They were coming, they were coming full, not hungry, spiritually speaking. They were coming satisfied in where they were at and not thirsty. They were lo- then taking that and looking down and past their fellow believers who were in physical need. And so he's like, that's not even communion. That's just you pigging out. That's not the Lord's Supper. So they had to, le- they had to relearn what communion represented, which, was the, which is the cross of Christ, right? And they had to relearn that, that this table is the great equalizer of our need for God. There is no coming to the Lord's Supper to communion without need. It, coming to it means you have need. Jesus said, I did not come to the healthy, but the sick. And so all who come to the cross are needy. And they had to relearn that. But here, here the Corinthians are having to learn that the Spirit is the great equalizer of our value and our purpose in God's kingdom. While we may have different roles by the Spirit, we are of equal value in God's kingdom because of the Spirit. So there could be a slave in this church who is an elder. And so the Spirit coming to each individual in this church shows that all have the same potential value in in the kingdom. God gives of his Spirit to every Christian. doesn't matter. doesn't matter where you came from. You can be saved by Jesus no matter your background, no matter your, your sins, no matter your heritage, but you can also be a valued part of the church no matter your background, no matter your sins, no matter your heritage. And this is by the Spirit. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I think this is, this is your take-home message that not only did God consider you worth dying for, God considers you worth using as an instrument to his glory for his purposes. And um, we find in verse 13 that it starts and ends by the Spirit. I want to read this verse again without the um, parenthetical just to get that picture. He says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So when we see the word baptism, I think a picture that comes to our our mind is beginnings. And so baptism is something Christians are commanded to do when they um, when they confess Jesus as Lord. It's a it's a first things. And side note, if you haven't been baptized and you call yourself a Christian or identify as a Christian. Um, and you haven't been baptized, please talk to me, talk to Justin, and we'll make sure that happens. Um, basically, baptism is, is just you proclaiming outwardly of the inner change that has already took place. So you're confessing Christ as your Lord by identifying with his death, by being submerged in water, and then coming up, identifying in his resurrection. Um, side note. But that's a beginning Baptism is a a beginning. And so we find that um, in the Spirit, our Christian life starts in the Spirit. That having the Spirit is a a mark of being a Christian. And Paul, Paul really hammers that home. He says that the Spirit is a down payment of our life with God for eternity. Almost like an engagement ring. Like, I give you this because this represents what's going to happen, which is you being with me forever. But then we find um, at the end of verse 13, all were made to drink of one spirit. So this word drink, this idea of thirst, 
brings to mind not just a one-time deal, right? You don't just drink one cup of water for your whole life. It's an ongoing need. It's something you have to return to and receive over and over again. Um, I read a commentator that, that wrote, By choosing the metaphor of drinking, Paul affirms that the Christian needs the constant infusion of the Holy Spirit as badly as a physical body needs water. And that really hit home for me because I, my job is infusion. I am a RN infusion. That's what I do for a living. And um, part of my work in infusion is hydrating people. So dehydrated people need IV fluids to be rehydrated. And if you're a nurse here or you're familiar with, with uh, healthcare and dehydrated people, you know that the hardest part about rehydrating a dehydrated person is access. Deflated veins are just hard to get to. Normally, like a healthy adult, you drink enough, you're, you're healthy, you're okay, you're not, things aren't flying out of your body quickly, and you put a tourniquet on, your veins pop out, and it's like, boom, easy. Let's get it in there, and let's give them some stuff. But a dehydrated person, your veins are shot. You're what they call a hard stick, and you're labeled as that forever. No, pretty much. That's when you bring in RN infusion, right? Um, but that picture of access, that, and I'm just taking the analogy and running with it a little bit, but does the Holy Spirit have access to us, right? If we need the hydration of the Holy Spirit, then we, he needs access. And um, a few characteristics came to my mind, at least in my experience um, so far in my Christian walk, um, that have been helpful in inviting the Holy Spirit to have access to me as an individual are these. The first one is desire. Do we have the desire for the Holy Spirit to work in us, to guide us, to lead us, to lead us into opportunities? That's first, desire. The second is openness. Are we open to him leading us into something we've never done? to something that might make us feel nervous, uncomfortable, openness. Third is humility. You just don't got it all together. And the sooner we realize that, the better. And then the fourth is dependence. And dependence, I think, is the key here. Because an ongoing need, an ongoing thirst, an ongoing appetite for drink that means you're dependent on it. We humans here, we are dependent on water. We just are. And we Christians here, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to walk with Christ. So desire, openness, humility, and dependence. Uh, we saw last week, before we get into the analogy, that Justin mentioned that becoming a Christian is a supernatural phenomenon. You go from death to life. It's not a gradual grayscale situation. It's, it's a miracle. A dead person cannot revive themselves. And um, it's the same with walking with Christ. It's a supernatural thing. It's not only if, you, if, if the Holy Spirit wants to give you the gift of healings that it's supernatural. Every role, every gift is supernatural. I found it really cool just to remember that Jesus told us about this stuff. He, before he left earth, he told us about this. So um, it's, it shouldn't be any surprise that this is what we're doing, that we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. In, uh, in John chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, um, but Jesus stood up at the end of a feast and he declared... If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, 
Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John actually takes a little bit further after Jesus finishes speaking. And John narrates and comments and says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not yet been given. Had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. 